He's a God who is near us. He's a God who cares for us. He is a God who meets with us. He is a God who has promised that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. Promises are a big part of being a parent. I do not like to think that I break promises to my children. I like to think that I delay them more often than I prefer. Any other moms and dads in the room ever feel that? You are in a situation heavily circumstanced. And as you look around, you tell your kids, I promise we will do this tomorrow, and then tomorrow comes. Uh, unlike Garth Brooks told us, tomorrow comes. And when, when tomorrow shows up, you're still dealing with all of the circumstances, all of the situations, and now they are affecting the promise that you made yesterday. You have delayed promises. Kids, I'm sure you have a list somewhere of the delayed promises that your parents have made to you. I will buy so much ice cream and we will go on so many trips and it will be marvelous when we eventually get to the place where all of these promises can be fulfilled. We as Christians look at the idea of the promises of God and He has made this huge promise to you if you are in Christ Jesus. That He will never leave you, that He will never forsake you, that He is for you. You are in that relationship. And if you are here and you are not a believer in Jesus, he invites you into that relationship. This will not be on the screen, but I want to read Romans 8, 28, talking about the promise of God and what he has made to us. So just hear from Scripture as Paul writes, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. Don't be afraid of that word. As we've said before, predestined just means God's worked this out from the beginning of time. To be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, who he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but he offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against the elect of God? Well, God is the one who justifies who is the one who condemned? Well, Christ Jesus is the one who died, and but even more has been raised, but also is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or, famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all the day long. We are being counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has made promises that God will fulfill to you if you are in Christ Jesus. To be someone who knows His promise. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, My sheep, they, they hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never, ever perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So as we talk about the promise of God and what the promise of God means for us, there are going to be two places that we look primarily in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17, and in verses 26 and 27 as we talk about 
the promise of God and how that interacts with our daily life as God moves us toward this place where we will see that there is nothing that separates us from His love. That you, if you were in Christ Jesus, there is not a day for you where you are going to be so bad that God stops loving you. You cannot be so bad that God stops loving you because you were never good enough for Him to start. The love of God is something given to us by Christ Jesus and it will be fulfilled because His promises will be fulfilled. So, with all that said, that's a precursor for what's about to take place today as we talk about what the Holy Spirit does. And I'm going to give you two things that we see from these various texts that come together in Romans chapter 8. Number one, the promise of God. We see that the Holy Spirit, He leads... And we see that the Holy Spirit intercedes. See those words rhyme. That should make our life simple. I can't think of a word that rhymes with simple other than pimple. But we're not going to go there. Romans 8, 12 through 17. So let's look there together. 12 through 17. The Holy Spirit leads. Verse 12. Pick up with me. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit, they're God's sons and God's sons and daughters. We can see that. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom you cry out, we cry out rather, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children, also heirs, heirs of God, and the co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. We see the Holy Spirit leading us, moving us in a direction, taking us somewhere. The Holy Spirit leads the believer, that's those who are in Christ Jesus, to put their sin to death. You see these words in the text. That you are not obligated to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But the Holy Spirit has promised to you that you are able to put to death the deeds of the body. Uh, So we notice, every one of us, if you are in Jesus, you know that sin affects your daily life. If sin does not affect your daily life, you're probably not observant of how it's working in you. But for those who are in Jesus, sin affects... The effectiveness of the Spirit in the Christian's life. Sin affects how effective what is taking place in you is working. Your sin, when you lean into it, when you lay over into it, it affects the way that you interact with God, in the way that you trust God, in the way that you see God. Sin affects the the effectiveness of the Spirit in the Christian's life. Sin does not affect the existence of the Spirit in the Christian's life. The still small voice is still there. God's still guiding you. God's still using His Word if you open it. So, to say it another way, sin impacts the productivity of the Spirit. It does not affect the presence of the Spirit. Romans 8.23 says this, that we're sealed unto the day of redemption. So when you come into a relationship with Jesus and He begins to lead you, God has sealed you and you're not going to unseal the seal that God has sealed. And when I say seal, I don't mean like a oh, oh, seal. I mean a, a, a stamp that locks something up 
To be led by the Spirit is to put to death the deeds of the body. To put to death, that's a huge Bible word. It's thanatute. You may be familiar with where that comes from. Thanos. We, we know that. It's the idea... Maybe you don't. Maybe we should work in some more Marvel movies, people. Uh, to put to death, that's what his name means. Well, we are going to kill the things that are actively working against the power of God in us. Uh, how do you kill sin by the Spirit? Well, John Owen says, he's a theologian, you will kill sin or it will kill you. Uh, the pathway to life for the follower of Jesus is a path of killing sin. Because the Holy Spirit is a person and he is walking with you saying, let me guide you, let me direct you. Hey, you're mine. I, you're in my hand. You kill by the Spirit the sins of the flesh by setting my, your mind on the things of the Spirit that we would have a mindset through which the Holy Spirit moves to kill sin in us trusting the promise of God through Christ's death on, on the cross because in Jesus all the promises of God are a wholehearted yes that God has said things to us to say that we are His and there is nothing, no height, no depth, no angel, nor demon that will separate us from the love of God given to us in Christ Jesus. And God has called you because of the seal that He has placed on you to have a full-hearted commitment to rebellion against sin so that we hate it for what it really is. Why? Because you and I should hate sin and have a singular focus to remove it personally and publicly because God himself hates it. That we should hate the private sin in us that is working in our souls. That we should hate the public display of sin globally because it is an atrocity in the sight of God. That we should hate sin because of the darkness that it has brought on the world in which we live. That we would be people who put sin to death. We talk about what it means to be a child of God. To think through what it means to belong to God. Do you want to know if you're a child of God? The Spirit hates your sin and leads you into war with that sin. Killing of sin by the Spirit in the evidence of, is evidence of our relationship with God and therefore that is the path to everlasting life. The security that we have as believers is that we have a desire to remove the sin that is present in us. The passage keeps going and he says this, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That word Abba, is a, a, it's pretty big in the Bible. It's a, when we read through the Old Testament, we see God referenced as, as Lord. We see the idea of Him being Father. But, but there's a very personal reference to God as Father that Jesus makes. In Psalm 31, 5, we see this. Into your hand I entrust my spirit, Lord. And when Jesus is on the cross, He, does, he prays that prayer, but He makes one alteration to it. When Jesus is on the cross talking about entrusting his spirit to God, he does not say, I entrust my spirit to the Lord. He says, I entrust my spirit to you as Father. I entrust my spirit to my Father. 
So for those of us who are in Jesus, because of the unique relationship that we have with God through Jesus, we are adopted sons and adopted daughters of God through Jesus, and we are brought into right relationship with God. That we are people who are united with Him, and we have been given a singular focus, as we learn from Friday Night Lights. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. We're moving forward together with God's desires in mind. That we have a Father who loves us. Jesus proceeds, uses these words from Psalm 31 with this intimate term imaginable, the most intimate term imaginable. When he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The movement from Yahweh to Father is one of the greatest summaries of the good news of Jesus that we find in Scripture. That you and I don't have a God who simply lords over us. We have a God who wants to have intimate relationship with us. The, the word cry in that passage it, it, that we see here, that you would cry out, Abba, Father, it's, it's not merely intellectual, though it is intellectual. It's not merely theoretical, though it is in a sense that. Though it's not just theological or doctrinal. Martin Lloyd-Jones, this British pastor, and who was also a, a physician, said all this is possible to one who is not a child of God alone. That being the intellectual, the theoretical, the theological, the doctrinal. All of those things are present to everyone. Our worship and our praying are spontaneous. It is spontaneity of the child who sees the Father. And not only spontaneity, but confidence. Moms and dads, you know that your very presence inspires confidence in your children. It's why when they injure themselves, they ask for their mom or their dad. And why that when they ask for their dad, he passes them to the mom. It's this deep connection. And Jesus is using this terminology and Paul is using this terminology to point out to us that we don't simply have a knowledge of God that is here. We have a knowledge of God that has shifted here. Let's never discredit the importance of emotions because emotions are part of your experience as much as anything else. You all know that one of my favorite stories is Harry Potter. You've, you've heard of it. Uh, and if you want to judge me for it, feel free to email me at chad at brazospoint.org. <laughs> He's an orphan living with an aunt and an uncle who don't want him. Uh, he is then brought into an altogether different world. In the original world with the aunt and the uncle. They were horrible people and they did not have room. He did not have a room. He lived where? In a cupboard under the... Stairs, And there was not a healthy relationship there at all. They looked down upon him. They hated him. They mistreated him. In this brand new world, his table is full and he's surrounded by friends who would become family. In his old life, his aunt and uncle are so vile, he does not want to tell them anything. He hides himself from them in every single way. But in this new world, these adults in his life who, who serve as almost surrogate parents, if you will, he tentatively trusts and cares for them. And as the story progresses, there's a tension where he is always wrestling with, should I tell them about blank? Wrestling with that tension. The idea of, okay, they're in the place of people who love me, but do they really love me? 
For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we begin to consider this gospel story and what the gospel story means and what it means that God loves us so immensely and so intensely and so deeply. And the bad news of our world says to us over and over is, I really messed up. That I really messed up. When we make a mistake in our hearts, we say to ourselves, I have messed up and my dad is going to kill me. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus is something altogether different because it says, I really messed up no matter what messed up happens to be. But when I really mess up, I want to talk to my dad. It's this idea of trust, deep trust. And I would wonder about my own life and maybe I would encourage you to wonder about your life. What are you inspiring in the children who you're called to model Christ-likeness to? Are you modeling the world system of I really messed up, my mom and dad are going to kill me? Or are we modeling, I messed up, I really, I, the only person I want to talk to, that's my mom and my dad. But this passage, this story tells us that we, as the good news of Jesus is this depth of relationship. I can talk to God the Father about the things that I do that are sinful, but He will help me to put those things to death. That there is an acknowledgement of the sin in our lives and in our hearts that would point us toward the person of Jesus. God promises this, that he who began a good work in you will to complete it until the days of Christ Jesus. Put your sin to death because you can in Jesus. Verse 16, the, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. God says you belong to him. And if children, we are also heirs. Heirs of God, and we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. The word adopted there, it's literally a verb that says son eyes or daughter eyes. I'll make them mine. And when you consider the idea of adoption in the world through in which Jesus and Paul lived, there's not some lottery that takes place. It's not the person hoping on top of hope and believing on top of belief that maybe, just maybe, if they do the right thing, behave the right way, that someone will take them and make them theirs. Actually, it's the idea of you don't control anything, but someone outside of your situation takes hold of you and says, this one belongs to me. This one cares for me. This one, pouring, this one pours his love and affection on me. And all of the things to, that belong to him, they now belong to me. We see Paul being incredibly Trinitarian. The idea of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit present again in this text. If you belong to Christ, you are a son of God. And because of that, you have his Spirit. And we walk through those every single week that as followers of Jesus, that our salvation is authorized by the Father. And eventually it is applied by the Spirit. We see this working, activated by the Son, advanced through the Son. If you belong to Christ, you are a son of God and you have His Spirit. Conversely, I've been reading a book on the 1980s about the Showtime era Lakers, so I've been thinking about Converse a lot. Conversely, if you do not belong to Christ, you are not a son of God, you don't have a Spirit. That's the flip. If you are in Christ... You are a son of God. You have a spirit. If you're not in Christ, you do not belong to God. You're not a son of God. You do not have his spirit. 
Now, now there's language throughout the Scriptures that communicates the idea of us being the offspring. Every human being on the entirety of planet Earth is the offspring. God made you, in the sense. You were, you were created being. But there is something unique that takes place in the life of a sinful person when they see the offer, the offer that God has made in Jesus to make you His Son. We're called to put our sin to death. And when we begin to put this sin to death, our motivations change. Sin that lingers says that this to us about our temptation. You may have felt this in your own life. Sin that doesn't go away, that you allow to stay there. If I do that, then God will be mad at me. If I do that, it's going to hurt the people who are around me. If I do that, it will embarrass myself. It's going to embarrass my family. If I do that, I'm going to hate myself tomorrow. So we don't deal with our sin. We just keep pushing it away. Pushing it away. It's still there, but not dealt with. Tim Keller, pastor, former pastor in New York, says this. Tim Keller says this. Taking your temptation to the law, and it is using fear to deter itself. That's not ultimately. That's not ultimate for us. It's exhausting, and it doesn't last. One pastor who I like, he has a cool handlebar mustache, says this. If you, his name's Paul Tripp. Google him, you'll see the mustache. If you obey for a thousand years... You're no more accepted than when you first believed. Your acceptance is based on the righteousness of Christ and not yours. We see the Holy Spirit leading us to know who we are in Christ Jesus and to deal with our sin because of who we are in Christ Jesus. We deal with sin because of right standing, not to earn right standing. God's given us that opportunity, that ability. The Holy Spirit leads. That's His promise. He also promises this, that He will intercede for you. Verses 26 and 27, look there with me. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And He... Who searches your hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We are not secure, R.C. Sproul says, because we hold tightly to Jesus. We are secure because He holds tightly to us. God is holding tightly to you even now if you are a believer in Him. If you have a trusted relationship with Him, He is clinging to you. The, the passage talks about the one who searches hearts. He doesn't just intercede. He knows exactly why he's interceding on a personal level. Maybe you've been to a concert. Remember when we got together in crowds? And if you went to a concert in the 60s or the, the 70s, there was a chance that there was a portion of the concert where you took out a lighter. It was a Zappo because Bix weren't invented yet. And did anybody go to these concerts? Anybody? 60, 70? All right. All right. And you hold up your lighter. The person's on stage and you're united with them. But in the 80s and 90s, we moved from that to, to, to the BIC. And then everybody realized that smoking is terrible for you as if like inhaling fumes was ever going to be good for you. And now we all hold up our phones. We do this because there's a unity that is being communicated in doing it. It's saying that we are, in a sense, connected to the person who's in front of us. The Holy Spirit present in the life of the believer is us saying, I'm connected to this Jesus. 
I'm united with him. Uh, we, I, read it, I read in one uh, music magazine, the, while the lighter of concerts has been, today has been almost entirely replaced by cell phones, the meaning is the same as it was at the origin of the phenomenon. The light serves as a way of bringing an audience together with the performer, of acknowledging the performer, of participating, of appreciating, and of asking for even more. And for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, the Spirit of God alive and well in us, it is us doing those things, participating with God the Father, interacting with the Son, appreciating what He does, knowing and asking for Him to do even more than we could ever have imagined. Because again, authorized by the Father, accomplished by the Spirit, applied by the Son. The Holy Spirit is the bridge between the deep things of God and the human heart. God has united you and linked you with Himself. And the entirety of the Trinity right now is having a conversation about you at all times. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Jesus interceding for our sins as He stands at the right, as He sits at the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit who is with us making our case even when we don't know there is a case that needs to be made. In this New Testament, in this portion of the book of Romans, we're on the other side of the story of Lazarus. We understand that there's weeping and darkness and difficulty in the world. We're on the other side of that story. And we know that Jesus told him to get up and he got up. He told Lazarus to come out and he came out of the grave. He wept over Lazarus. Lazarus. He was moved. He was groaning in part. Hope is that the Spirit goes before God when we are wordless and pleads on our behalf. Hope is trusting that God is communicating even now. God the Spirit communicating even now with God the Father. God the Son speaking to God the Father on your behalf even now. And in this situation, you don't even say a word. Maybe you've been in a moment where you lived away from your mom and dad, but something took place. Grief struck your family and you had to fly across the country or drive across the country to get to this loved one who you knew was struggling, who you knew was suffering. And when you get to that person, you know you don't have to say a word There's an embrace that's there. This idea of God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. We don't have to say words there. Because the Spirit is interacting on our behalf. The passage talks about the intercession of the Spirit. Groanings too deep for words. This is, it's a lawyer term, but it's even more than that. It's someone speaking on your behalf. Because you don't know what to say. Possibly you've been in that situation in your own prayer life. Not knowing what to say, not knowing how to say it, but trusting that God is active there. God at work in His people. We look at this text and we can see that Jesus is showing us that the Spirit right now is interceding on behalf of the saints. Speaking and showing that the promise of God, that He is not going to walk away from you, that He will never leave you, He will not forsake you, that He is for you as much as for you can be. And you're not going to undo the promise that He has made. He will fulfill it. He will hold it. He will hold you close in the face of your struggles. In the the height of your sin and shortcomings. You're not going to be so bad that God stops loving you. He loves you deeply. Immensely. The passage showing us who Jesus is. And saying that there is nothing that will separate us. We have a promise that God has made to us as believers. Put your sin to death because of the promise. Trust that He's interceding with you as a part of the promise. 
believe that God is for you because He's made a promise to you. And He'll never leave you and He will not forsake you. He will not undo all the good that has been done. Because Jesus came to rescue us, not offer us a simple example or guidance. He's our rescuer who knows the depths of our sin and frees us from it. Live as free people because of the promise of God. I want you to bow your heads with me this morning. Every Sunday, I'm the my back right-hand corner of the room. If you need me, I'm there. My right-hand side. And if you trusted in Christ and you, you need someone to pray for you, I, I would love to do that. If you're uncomfortable praying with me, I would love to connect you with someone who cares for you, who, who wants to pray with you. If you're here and you've never trusted in what God has offered you in Jesus... I would love to have an in, a conversation with you about that. We can do that here. We can set up a time to have that conversation later. Lord, I thank you for these people. I thank you that on this day in October of 2020, you gathered together this unique set of people in this room to hear from your word about the promises that you make to us. I thank you for the gift that we have in your spirit, that you're alive in your people, that you've saved us, you've delivered us. God, I pray that we will see, because of this gift that you've given to us, the importance of putting our sin to death. Lord, we thank you for all that we have. I thank you for all that you've done. And I pray that today we will lean into your promises more than we did yesterday. We ask all this in Jesus' name.